All right. We are in the book of Numbers, uh, and we are in chapters 27, and we're going to be finishing up chapter 27 today. Um, got a note here. Uh, is this for announcement, Pop? Sure. Okay. Yeah. There's for you guys, for those of you who know, we, we uh, Jill works at uh, New Hope Family Services, um, which is a pregnancy crisis center. Uh, they take in um, unwed mothers who are expecting, who don't know what to do, who have been told many different things, and uh, they bring them in, and they help them through the pregnancy, and they help them with, the, with delivering the baby, taking care of the baby, and then they place the babies in adoptive homes, and they place the babies in Christian homes. Uh, so you can imagine how the state feels about that, right? <laughs> so they need your prayer all the time. They need your prayer all the time because they're under attack all the time uh, because it's just not inclusive to only place uh, children in Christian homes. Uh, but they're a Christian ministry, and so that's, that's what they do. Um, but there's going to be a banquet, and it's on September 24th uh, of this year, and the keynote speaker is going to be uh, NFL All-Star Benjamin Watson. I don't know if any of you guys have ever read his stuff or listened to him. He's awesome, man. He loves the Lord. Um, so something to, something to think about and consider. It's not till September 24th, so you have time to plan. And the adult dinner, the adult dinner is what, Tuesday? 14th. 14th. Is that a Tuesday? Next week, the following, it's on the 14th, <laughs> whatever day that is, the adult dinner is going to be at the retreat in uh, Liverpool, and there's a sign-up sheet. Okay, we're good. That's everything. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and uh, Lord, we just want to uh, cover the word in prayer this morning, Father, before we read it, before we dig into it uh, and examine it, Father, we want to ask for your Holy Spirit to come and be among us this morning. Uh, and that you would translate it to each heart and to each mind, Father. I could never in a million, billion, trillion years possibly fathom or know or understand uh, what it is that these people need from you, uh, Lord. But you know every single thing about them. You know more about them than they know about themselves, Lord. Uh, and so we pray that by the power of your Spirit, Lord, and of your Holy Word, um, that you would minister into each one of their hearts today, Father, that you would minister into their lives that you would bring encouragement and instruction and training into their lives, Father, uh, that the things that, they, that we study together here in this place would be written on the tablets of our hearts, Lord, not just words that uh, we go away and forget, Lord, but the things that we learn about your Holy Scriptures would be things that we never forget because they're imprinted on our spirit, Lord, by your spirit. Have your way with us this morning, Lord. Use us. Uh, move us where you need us to move, Lord. Stop us where you need us to stop. Uh, and help us to only speak what you cause us and, and tell us to speak, Father, for your sake and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay. So Numbers chapter 27, we have an interesting portion of Scripture, and this is going to be the Lord speaking to Moses, basically, and, and telling him how he's going to die, uh, which, you know, may not sound like a party. <laughs> uh, but you know what? For the believer... One of my favorite verses that I like to, to like to post when 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 somebody uh, you know who's a believer in Jesus Christ passes away, um, and people of course we mourn, right? But the Bible says that we don't mourn as those who have no hope, correct? Because we know that this life is just the beginning, that the spirit that's inside of each one of us is an eternal spirit. We are made up of three parts: body, mind, and soul, or spirit, or body, soul, and spirit, or body, mind, and spirit mind, soul, interchangeable word there, but you have an eternal spirit. When you go to awake, 
and you, I'm just a little bit more, but I apologize. It is what it is, right? When you go to, every time you go to a funeral, it's awful, and it's weird, and it doesn't quite feel right. Do you know why that is? Because we were never meant to die. It was sin that entered into the world and caused death. Not only physical death, but spiritual death. When we talk about spiritual death, what we're talking about is the separation from God. We are separated from God because of our sin. Not because of what people made us do, not because of the bad experiences that caused us. No, no. We are separated from God. I stand guilty because of my own sin. And sin cannot be in the presence of God. It's not a fact of, you know, God's just looking to fire people into hell. That is not the God of the Bible. But sin, darkness, and God and light are mutually exclusive. They cannot occupy the same space at the same time. That's why God said to Moses, no one can see my face, Moses, and live. It's not that I don't love you, bud, right? It's not that I don't call you my friend, but you cannot see my face and continue to exist because you're a fallen man. You're a fallen man. Before Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, everyone died in their sins, God's mercy extended to those who were believers in God, who feared God and tried their best to live a life of righteousness and holiness before God. And this is maybe something you've never heard before, but before Jesus Christ, every single person who died went to hell. Did you know that? Hell is Sheol, Hades, the place. It's a completely different place than the lake of fire. There was two separate compartments of hell. Uh, the place where the unrighteous dead went, and what was called Abraham's bosom. That's the place where the righteous dead. We know this because of the parable that Jesus taught, and it was more than a parable. It was an actual account because it's the only story that he ever told in which he used proper names. And he, so he tells the story of this rich man and Lazarus. And, and Lazarus was this beggar who only longed for the scraps and the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And he was covered in sores and the dogs would come and lick his sores. Jesus paints this bleak picture about this man who lived in horrific conditions with nothing. And he lived apparently next in close proximity to a very rich man who had plenty. But Lazarus was a righteous man, and the rich man in this story was an unrighteous man. And so when they died, they both went to hell, but Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, the place where the righteous dead went. And there's this great cavern that was between them. Jesus talks about it in this story. And remember, the rich man says, at least do me this favor and send Lazarus back to tell my brothers about this place, for I am in torment here. And Abraham said this interesting phrase to the rich man. He said, they have the law and the prophets. What does that mean? They have the word of God. This is a book of eternal consequence. It's not, we don't study this as a gimmick. That's that church that studies through the Bible. Cool. No, no, no. This is an eternal consequence. And we are commanded to study it, to show ourselves a workman, work people who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. All of us, we're all ministers, not just me, not just dad. And so he says, they have the word of God. They have the law and the prophets. If they don't believe the law and the prophets, then even if one were to come back from the dead, they would not believe. 
And of course, Jesus was also prophesying about the fact that he was going to die and he was going to raise from the grave. All people have to do, if they want to believe in the resurrection, all they have to do is research. That's all they have to do is is have a heart to believe. I'm willing to believe this. There's not a grave in Israel that has Jesus' bones in it. Don't you think that, you know where, you, you know where if I start a new religion, right? I just watched that Netflix series on David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. You know what I mean? It was inspired. <laughs> I'm completely joking, of course. But if I was to start a cult, start a new cult, we'll call it the Lords of the Higher Light. We'll put a fence around this place and we'll start collecting guns, okay? I'm joking. All right. You know where I wouldn't go to start telling people that I was God? Henniger, that's where I graduated from. Eastwood, that's where I grew up. I wouldn't start there. Murph, do you know I'm God? Can you believe it? And he'd be like, no, you're an idiot. I know you. You know, we were running around doing the same stuff together. He knows. Jesus Christ began his ministry in his hometown. They knew him. And when Jesus finished his ministry and he died on the cross and he was buried and he rose from the third, on the third day... He did it right there in Jerusalem, right there. It would have been so easy for the lie to be discovered. It would have been so easy to uncover the fact that this man was a charlatan. They even said to Pontius Pilate, this this scammer, who we saw with our own eyes do all these miracles, claimed that he was going to die and on the third day rise from the grave. So you're saying that you absolutely accept the fact that he told you before he died that he was going to die, and then be raised on the third day, and you still won't believe. They said, help us to make the tomb secure, because we know his disciples are going to try to come and steal his body. And Pilate, who had had it with them at this point in time, said, make it as sure as you can. And so the le- this, this, uh, this uh, group of soldiers was sent to guard the tomb. And the group of soldiers that were sent to guard the tomb were of the special forces variety. The training that they went through was intense and rigid and severe. If you fall asleep on guard duty, it is the death penalty. If you are charged with watching a prisoner and that prisoner escapes, whatever that prisoner's judgment was going to be up to and including crucifixion, you would suffer. So when they were going through basic training together, if one of your buddies would fall asleep, you know, the Romans wore those little skirts. Very convenient because they're flammable. And so they would light their little skirt on fire. Problem solved. You don't go to sleep on on watch anymore. Okay? These were the men that were sent to guard the tomb of Jesus Christ. And guess who's not going to beat them up and take the body? Fishermen. Tax collectors. The Bible tells us exactly what happened, that an angel came down and was, his appearance was like lightning, and the soldiers, these special forces soldiers, fell on the ground as though they were dead men, and there was an earthquake, and the tomb was opened up, and Jesus rose from the grave, and he ascended to the Father days later. And he appeared to his disciples, eyewitness accounts. These men that wrote these, I love watching the, the History Channel right? Because they know more about what Jesus was up to than his disciples did. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? Wow. If you want to get the autobiography of Frank Thomas, don't read Nicky's. Go read some guy that I worked with 20 years ago. That's ridiculous, right? These men who walked with him and talked with him and were with him every moment of every day for three years 
wrote all of this down, and now the history teachers tell us that's, that's not really what happened. <laughs> what? It doesn't make any sense. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Jesus Christ appeared to over 400 people over a period of, I think, 40 days. And then Jesus rose, ascended into heaven, all of them watching. They were there. And every single one of those disciples, with the exception of John, gave their lives because they would never recant that the stories that they told of Jesus were true. They would never recant the fact that he was the Son of God, that he died on the cross for the sins of man, and that he rose from the grave. They took that to their deaths. Peter's family was killed in front of him, and then he was crucified upside down. Because when they went to crucify him, he said, stop, I'm not worthy to be put to death in the same way that my Lord was. So they crucified him upside down. And the story goes, when his wife was about to be put to death, that he cried out to her, woman, look to the face of Christ. You don't do that for a lie. You don't do that for something that you made up. That's why it's all true. Okay, I have no idea where we were. We are in Numbers chapter 27. Uh, and Moses, this, uh, that's where that, I just, it just came back to me. Sorry, something broke loose and it was back. Um, we're talking about death. You go to a funeral, it's weird, it's strange. And when you look at the body in the casket, you can tell that ain't her. That ain't him. Something's missing. It's not just that they're not breathing and there's not circulation in a heartbeat. The spirit is gone. And you can tell that's what gives a person life. It's not just the pumping heart and the lungs and the oxygen and the blood. It's the spirit that gives this biomechanical suit life. You are not just a series of random chemical reactions. Who you are, your soul, your spirit is eternal, created in the image of God and created for fellowship with him. But there can be no fellowship with God outside of Jesus Christ because we all are sinners. It wasn't until Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible says, that he descended into the lower parts of the earth, preached the gospel to those who were, uh, who were locked up, and that would have been in Abraham's bosom. And can you imagine Abraham standing there and in walks Jesus, hey, remember all that stuff you wrote? It's me, right? What do you say? Ah, let me think about it for a couple of days. It says he led a great train to heaven. And from that day forward, anyone who died or dies in Christ is in the presence of God the Father. Why? Because your sins have been atoned for. What sins exactly? There are no sins. The Bible says that God takes your sins as far away as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. No more. What you did yesterday, huh? what you're going to do tomorrow, because we blow it every day, don't we? It is not there because of Jesus Christ. It's not about our goodness. It's not about our righteousness. It's about his righteousness. I've had people say to me, I have a real, you're telling me if Hitler in his last days would have asked Christ into his heart, he would have gone to heaven? Absolutely. And they say, I have a problem with that. And I say, let me ask you a question. Whose sin is Jesus's blood not good enough to cover? That's the question. 
It's not about the sinner. It's about the one who, set, who made the sacrifice. It's about his blood, and it covers all sin. Our part in this eternal game is to believe. The people asked Jesus, what may we do that we may do the work of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he sent. That's your work, kids, to believe in the one whom he sent. Now say, well, that sounds too simplistic. There's nothing simple about it because once you make that decision and you put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you are just beginning. You are now, uh, you are now immersed into an eternal battle that has been going on since the beginning of time. And you are not on Satan's side anymore. And he's coming after you. And his goal and his job is to try and get you to be outside of the Spirit of God as often as he can. If he can get you in the flesh, if he can get you out of fellowship with God, if he can get you thinking about only yourself and your circumstances, you will not be effective for the kingdom of Christ. That's his goal. And outside of the kingdom of Christ, outside of those who belong to Jesus, it's to get as many people to hell as he possibly can. And I'm telling you, he's doing a great job. Because we live in a time and we live in a world now where the very gospel of Jesus Christ is being denied. All of the things that are a requirement to be, to, to be a Christian, requirements in order to inherit eternal life, are either being dismissed entirely or just kind of nonchalantly ignored. Well, there was a good person. There's a good person, good person, good person. It's not about being a good person, is it? Every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet needs to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. All of them. And I, I apologize because I've been getting hammered by the Spirit, so now it's your turn, okay? How many people did I talk to last week? How many people did I talk to? And I'm not talking about crowbarring it in, guys. I'm not talking about, you know, making it unpalatable or, 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 or revolt. Like, 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 what are you doing to people all out of whack and out of time? What I'm talking about is living our lives with a sense of urgency, with an understanding that Jesus Christ is going to return soon. We don't know what soon means, but he's going to return soon. And when that happens, God's judgment is going to be poured out on planet Earth according to the scriptures. And our job right now, first and foremost, is to love and serve God. But the second thing that Jesus says goes right along with the first is to love our neighbor as ourself. And that doesn't just mean help them out when they need help around the house. It doesn't just mean take the garbage out for them when they're on vacation. That's, that's, that's great stuff too. What it means is they need to know about Jesus, guys. They need to know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and that they have to have a relationship with him in order to inherit eternal life. You have to have a relationship with God and you can only have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. And in the garden he prayed, if there's any way that this cup can be taken from me. In other words, if there's any other way that people might be redeemed. Please don't let me go through what I'm about to go through. And God let him go right through it because it was the only way that people could be saved. It was the only way that people could be brought into a relationship with God. And our job 
It is the same job that he gave to the disciples when he was ascending into heaven. Go into all the earth and preach the gospel. Teach them all the things that I've commanded you to obey and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's, that's it. The Great Commission, we call it. It hasn't changed. It hasn't gone away. And man, oh man, oh Shevitz, <laughs> I am so caught up in so many other things. Me, personally. I find myself during the course of a week, 99% of the time some days, some weeks, only thinking about the Frank stuff. Only thinking about the things that I want or that I wish or that I believe. I'm so distracted. And I forget sometimes that I have a higher calling. I have a job to do. Jesus said to his disciples, why do you call me Lord and then don't do the things that I say? And so it's not enough for us to just believe. It's not enough for us to just study the scriptures together. We need to be collectively as a body of believers praying and asking God, God, use me, use us. Show us what you want us to do. Help us to be available to you. Show us where you want us to be and help us to be available to go there. Help us to be about the things of the Spirit, the things of your kingdom, and not just always about who's going to be in the Super Bowl, right? Or the latest movie that's coming out, or the politics of the day. Oh, my Lord, the politics of the day. The Facebook, the Instagram, you know what I mean? How much time it robs from us. It's a thief. It's a thief. Guilty, guilty, guilty. I'm preaching to myself, by the way. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not preaching at you guys, man. I've been getting hammered this week. I hate when that happens. And yet I know it's because God loves me and because he wants to do something special through me. And it's the same with every single last one of us. So Moses says, no, no, Moses is not afraid to die. Okay, getting back to the scripture. Moses is not afraid to die. He's not afraid to die because he knows to whom he belongs. And he is willing to walk with God right to the end. Don't you want to die like that? I love the story of Jacob. He brings all his grandsons come in. He, he, he puts his hands on them. He blesses them. And then it says he drew his legs up into his bed. He breathed his last and was gathered to his fathers. Man, I want to go like that. Or in a, you know, a spectacular dirt bike crash. Something like that. But I want to die. When I leave, I want people one way or another to say, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. He died with Jesus. I want to be at the end and I want to be like, here I come, <laughs> ready or not. I want to have that prayer in my heart and on my lips, man, always, but always expecting that. That's how Moses was. He was willing to walk with God no matter what, right up to the veil of death. So Numbers 27, verse 12. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go up into this Mount Abiram and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. And he reminds them again why. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hallow me at the water at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Of course, um, what, what God is talking to Moses about is that portion when they were entering, coming 
into the area of the promised land, and there was no water for the congregation of Israel. And they were thirsty, and they began to complain, as they were prone to do. And they began to grumble and complain against Moses and against Aaron. And so God, for the second time, gives Moses the instruction to go out and bring forth water from the rock. Now, interestingly enough, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the same cloud, were, excuse me, were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Interesting. And then he goes on to say, but with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of, uh, of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Now it's interesting there that he says they tempted Christ. Where was Christ? Now Christ is God, isn't he? He's, 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 they're one and the same. So what, what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth here is that remember the children of Israel, guys. They saw the plagues in Egypt. They saw the miracles. They saw the Red Sea parted. They saw the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. They heard the rumblings. They saw uh, Moses and his visage being brightened and changed by being in the presence of Almighty God. They saw all of these miracles, and they ate the spiritual food, which is the manna that came down from heaven. And they drank from that spiritual rock. And interestingly enough, he says, which was Christ that followed them in the wilderness. Now, you see what he says here, spiritual when they were eating that manna, it was a bread that came down and the Bible describes it and it gave them everything that they needed for nutrients. And when they drank water from the rock, it was because they needed a drink and God let spring water come out of a rock. How that looked, how that worked, don't ask me. But that's what went down. And what he's saying here is spiritually speaking, when we're in the Old Testament, we're talking about all of these things, the tabernacle, all of these things that God was doing are pictures of Jesus Christ, are examples of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Paul is saying. The manna, and Jesus said, remember when he said to the people, I am the bread come down from heaven. He is the manna. And he said, I am the living water. If you would ask me, I would give you living water. The Bible says that he was spiritually, he wasn't actually a rock. You understand that, right? He didn't transform himself into a rock and roll down in Papa. That's not what happened, <laughs> okay? It was an example. It was a picture. Everything is about Jesus Christ. Do we understand? Everything is about Jesus. All the things in the Old Testament are about the redemption of man through Christ. Everything, that's what it's all about. 
And so God told Moses to go out and strike the rock, and water would come out of the rock and give, and give the people water to drink. This is the first time. So Moses went out and struck the rock, which is spiritually Christ, and living water came out. You getting it? Jesus Christ was struck for you and I. And because he was struck for us, and he is also our rock, our foundation, living water, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit, is given to us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and our belief in him. Now, the second time when the people began to complain for water, God told Moses specifically to go out and speak to the rock. But Moses was angry. He was angry at the people because of their unbelief. And so he went out there and he struck the rock twice or three times with his staff. Must we bring you water from a rock, you rebels, you know? And God is like, whoa, Moses, you don't, you don't know what you just did, but brother, I got to judge you now. Because Jesus Christ only had to be struck once. Once he died for all mankind, for all sin, for all time. After that, he need only be asked, right? It was a very specific picture that God was painting for you and I to be able to read and understand. And Moses, not getting it, not understanding it, and in anger, struck the rock. And so God had to make a whole example of Moses to show us how important it was. And so he tells him, you're not going into the promised land. You're not going into the promised land. Now, in um, Deuteronomy chapter 3, if you want to turn real quick there with me, Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 3, starting with verse 23, we get a little more insight. Now, sneak preview, okay? Moses doesn't die here, (laughs) okay? This is God telling him that he's going to die. Moses is with us all through the entire book of Deuteronomy, And he gives a complete recounting of their travels through the wilderness and coming into the promised land, okay? And in Deuteronomy chapter 3, starting with verse 23, he says this, Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? Now, this is when they're first coming into the promised land, which is where we're at in Numbers. And Moses is now recounting this in Deuteronomy, okay? And he's explaining about when he's seeing God defeat Og, the king of Bashan, and the Amorites, and he's seeing him put all of these kingdoms underneath them that they were so afraid of, and God do these mighty works and these mighty deeds. And this is what he said to God, I pray in verse 25, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And this is funny to me. (laughs) So, So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes toward the west, the north, the south, and the east. Behold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. The portion that we're at in in Numbers chapter 27, that's what Moses is talking about. Now, apparently, Moses had been badgering God a little bit. Please, please let me go in the promised land. Please. Please, I know you said I can't because I, I, didn't, I didn't honor you at, at, at the waters of Mizpah and, and I struck the rock and I knew that was wrong and, I, and I'm, I, please forgive me for that, but please, can I please go in? The... God says, enough. Moses, you're not going into the promised land. 
I had to make a very, very specific point by not allowing you to go into the promised land because of what happened with the rock. You didn't hallow me before the people. And so that's what we're reading about here in chapter 27. Uh, verse 15, then Moses spoke to the Lord saying, and I want you to see Moses' heart here. God is finally telling Moses, I don't want to talk about it anymore, Moses. Here's the deal. Because of what happened, you can't go into the promised land, bud. That's the end of it. And then Moses in verse 15 spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Now, I believe that Moses not only was asking God a question, a, a, a practical question, but he was also speaking prophetically of Jesus Christ. Because listen to the language here. Listen to what he says. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Remember what the Bible says about when Jesus looked out at the multitudes, what he thought? He had compassion on them, for they were the sheep without a shepherd. That's how Jesus saw the people of the congregation of Israel. And so we know that God is going to choose Moses, but prophetically, and we're going to get into that too with Joshua, uh, it's also a picture of Jesus Christ. And the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun. She wasn't actually a nun. That was, her, uh, the, that, was, that was the father's name, as a matter of fact, and his name was Nun. With you, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hands on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Orem. Remember, that's the stones that were on the breastplate of the high priest's ephod. There was that breastplate that hung over the ephod and it had the, it had the, the stones, 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. And there was also these two stones, the Orem and the Thummim, Thummim something like that. And nobody has any idea how that worked. Like no scholars, no biblical scholars, no historians, no, no, no Jewish rabbis have any idea how those worked, in what way God used those stones to speak to the high priest and to let him know their will. We have absolutely no idea how that happened because the Bible is silent on it and there's no other writing about it. At his word, they shall go out, and at his word, they shall come in. He and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses." Now, it's interesting, uh, interesting because not only is God making this, this big point with Moses, not going into the promised land concerning the rock because he didn't hallow God's name before the people. He was to strike the rock the first time and speak to the rock the second time. And he struck the rock a second time. God had to make an example of Moses so that we could get the lesson, how big of a deal it was. Think of what Moses did. I mean, think of what Moses has been through. Think of where the Lord has brought him and the miracles that God has done through Moses, the greatest miracles in the history of the planet that we read about in Scripture. And yet, and yet, God's name and God's word being hallowed was so important 
that when Moses didn't do that, Moses, I got to make an example of you. It doesn't matter about all the, all the wonderful things you've done. Now, this is another interesting point to make. Joshua, his actual name was Jehoshua or Hosea, right? It wasn't, it wasn't really Josh. And Jesus' name in the Hebrew is, guess what? Jehoshua. His name, no, Mary didn't say Jesus, okay? That's the, that's the, uh, the Greek, all right? His name was Jehoshua. Would you know what that means? Guess. <laughs> God our Savior. God our Savior. And so isn't it interesting because you have the promised land, and the promised land for us is a picture of entering into the kingdom of God, into the things of God. Out of Egypt, which is the bondage, the place of bondage, a picture of sin, our bondage to sin, we are, we are delivered from the place of bondage, we are brought through this life, the wilderness, to the promised land, to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, where God says, I put my name there. That's the picture for us of eternity, of heaven, of being with the Lord forever. And here's a great point to take from all of this. The law, the law, which Moses is a representative of, could never take us into the promised land, right? The law cannot take anyone to heaven. The law condemns us. The Bible says that the handwriting of requirements that were against us because they're contrary to us were nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. Does that mean the law is bad? No. The law is perfect. The problem is we're bad, the law could never, ever take us into the promised land. But Jehoshua can. But Jesus Christ can. And so this is another picture here that we have of the perfect covenant of grace through Jesus Christ. That was coming. When Moses was going to be put to the side and Joshua was going to be the one to take the people into the promised land. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for uh, just the, the examples, Lord, and the pictures in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And uh, we ask, Father, that you would, you would help us to, um, to seek your face, Father, uh, with all of our hearts, Lord, to be of that same mindset, Lord, that Moses was, concerned with um, serving you first and foremost and the people of God second, Lord. Uh, we ask that you'd help us to have that same kind of heart, Lord, uh, just as Jesus Christ did, and uh, that we would walk in his light and in his image, Father, and, and, and seek to walk in his steps, Lord. I pray that you bless my brothers and sisters as they go their way. I pray that you'd watch over them and protect them, Lord, that you'd be with them as they go back to work. And uh, wherever they go this week, Father, I pray that you would be with them and that you would be revealing your fit, your, yourself to them more each day, Lord, uh, that your face would shine upon them, that you would be gracious to them, Lord, and that you would lead them along your paths of truth and righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys.